Welcome to Growing in Grace with Pastor Victor Morrison. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas. We are praying that God will bless you as you listen to this message. If you would like additional information on worship times and ministries at FBC Columbus, you can find out more at our website, fbccolumbustx.org. And now, take your copy of God's Timeless Word as Pastor Victor gives today's message. My name is Victor Morrison. I'm so glad that you're uh, with us at Growing in Grace again today. I pray that God will bless you as you listen to the message that I have. I want to share with you about fatherhood. I don't know when you'll listen to this particular podcast or broadcast, but if it's on Father's Day, then happy Father's Day. But if not, just think about how much uh, your dad uh, meant to you. I know my dad meant so much to me. I still think of him often. Uh, He was one of my heroes, a mentor, and uh, just a a real great man, a godly man, and uh, just gracious. And so I still miss him. He's with the Lord now. But um, just wanted to talk about fatherhood. And and in case uh, you did not have uh, a positive role model with your earthly dad, I just want to tell you, the Heavenly Father, He's the best. No doubt he is good and gracious. There's so many wonderful things that we could say about him. He gives good gifts to those that are in his family. And so it's just a a wonderful thing knowing the Father through his son, Jesus Christ. If you don't know him, I pray that you'll come to know him really soon. But what I want to share with you from Psalm 127 is actually attributed to Solomon. You know, his dad was David. But uh, this one is the son. And uh, I thought it was really interesting how he, you know, brings up children and brings up uh, family life and so forth. But here's the fatherhood formula that I think is presented in Psalm 127. It's only five verses. It's very short. And the fatherhood formula is also very brief. But here it comes. Life minus the heavenly father equals Vanity. Vanity, you'll know, is waste, futility, purposelessness, uh, meaninglessness, and emptiness, and so forth. So life minus the Heavenly Father equals vanity. But now let's switch from the Heavenly Father and think about earthly fathers. Children plus an earthly father equals value. The other day, I was listening to Focus on the Family broadcast, and I heard him say that in this day and time, there are 27 million children being raised in America without the father in the home. I I can't imagine what our home would have been like without my dad. But here's the thing. Since this psalm is attributed to Solomon, I got to thinking about how Solomon's son Rehoboam, he wasn't ready when he reached adulthood and when it came his turn to be the king, he wasn't ready. And so King Rehoboam, he made a lot of mistakes right off the start that I think could have uh, been different had he listened closer to his father, to Solomon. But also, if you read scripture very much, you'll see that Solomon, he drifted in his devotion to God Uh, toward the 
middle to last part of his life. So how unfortunate. He was so blessed. His wisdom definitely came from the Lord. And it, but it just reminds me of how important it is to walk with our Lord, but also if you're a dad, to really engage with your children, to invest in them, to love them. And so I hope that these words from Psalm 127 will be very meaningful to you. So let me read through the psalm. It's very short, like I said, only five verses. But then after that, we'll kind of go through that fatherhood formula. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. What a great passage and what a wonderful uh, example it is about family life, just reading through those verses. So let's look at it together. The first thing I noticed was life without a heavenly father, it's vain. I'm calling it the minus side of fatherhood. So the minus side of fatherhood is seen so clearly with the word vain. It's mentioned three times. So what we're basically saying is don't go that way. It's a burnt run. You're going to waste your time, waste your life, waste your emotions, waste your energy. There were three things that I think were uh, mentioned of when the Heavenly Father is not with a person. They're not focused on Him. They're not trying to walk with Him. They're not receiving the Heavenly Father's love all the time and His peace, His direction, and so forth. And so there's three different areas. The first one being working without the Heavenly Father guiding. Well, that's vanity. That's vanity. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. You know, it's so easy to demolish a building, isn't it? But it's quite another thing to actually construct a building, to build something. Anybody can tear down, but oh, it takes somebody that's really put some thought into it to actually build. Solomon did lots of building, but he still needed God's guidance. You know, <clears throat> the next generation, the kingdom that he built, like I was talking about with Rehoboam, you know what happened? That kingdom was ripped apart. If we don't place within our kids that desire to, to seek guidance from the Heavenly Father, then I'm telling you, everything that we invest in them, all the things we're trying to teach them, all that we want for them, all the dreams that our kids have, they could easily be ripped away from them. You see, Jesus was a carpenter. He knew how to build things. So I think we are to say to our kids, Seek the Lord's guidance. Let Him help you as you're trying to work and build your life. Jesus knows how to build it. He knows how to build a church. He knows how to build a life. There's also a second thing I noticed, that trying to go to war, trying to fight life's battles, 
warring minus the Father, guarding, well, that's vanity. You know, if you were to go back to the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, you would see quite quickly that it wasn't just about building, it was also about battling. It'd be nice, it would be nice if we never had to face any enemies, if we could just focus our whole life on just building, 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 and not have to even worry about battling. But the truth is, life sometimes is a lot like a battle. Maybe not every day, maybe not even in a particular season, particular month or year, but sooner or later, all of us learn like Nehemiah did in chapter 4, verses 17 through 18, that you have to learn how to build with one hand and you have to learn how to fight against temptation and evil with the other hand. You know, uh, there was a famous preacher in England named Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He would put out a newsletter that he called The Sword and the Trowel. The Sword and the Trowel. And what it basically was saying is, you know, we've got battles we've got to fight, but we've also got different structures we need to build. That's the story of life. You know, all of the stories in the Bible of men of strength and armies of strength, you know why I think they're there? They're there to remind us that without God's protection, at any moment we could be defeated by the enemy, not experiencing victory like we can have in Christ. You know, I'm thinking about Old Testament characters like Samson and Achan and the battle at Ai. You know, there were times whenever even God's people, they lost. Why did they lose? Because they were trying to do life. They were trying to fight their battles without God helping them and guarding them and guiding them. So I just thought, well, there's an example of working. We don't want to work without the Father guiding. We don't want to try to do the battles and war without the Father's guarding. But also, we don't want to worry without the Father giving. You know, that's also vain. You know, he keeps saying that over and over. It's in vain, he says in verse 2, that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Wow. If we can only learn that early. Jesus tried to teach his disciples in Matthew 6 not to give way to worrying and stressing in life. He said that worry is actually a waste of our time and a waste of our energy. Oh, what a better way to live to put Christ's kingdom first. And then God said, if you'll put him first, here's what he'll do. He will provide. He will take care of all the other things. He will bring those to us. So here we can hear Solomon saying the same thing that he wrote in Ecclesiastes about the person who's driven and worried. It's such a waste. You know, he says here, for example, how worry is exacting. He said, you rise up early, you, you uh, sit up late, trying. it's so exacting. Worry is excruciating. You know, I think worry also can produce what's called here the bread of anxious toil. Some translations say the bread of sorrows. But the main thing, worry is just flat out exhausting. When, when why are we exhausting ourselves? It says he gives 
to his beloved sleep. Man, oh man, that is definitely a wonderful heavenly father. And I don't want you to miss out on that. So I just want to encourage you, don't go through life. Don't try to do life without the heavenly father. That's why Jesus came as the sin substitute, dying in our place on the cross to pay the price for our sins so that each of us could be welcomed into God's family so that he could be our heavenly father. Boy, what a great opportunity we have as human beings. And so don't hang out over there on that minus side of the fatherhood principle. I want to encourage you to instead move down into verses three and four and five and live on the positive side of the fatherhood principle. I do want to switch over, as I think these verses do somewhat, from talking about our heavenly father to talking about the earthly father. Hey, dad, do you know that you're so important to your family? You're vital. You mean so much to your family, even if they don't always express it. I believe the family needs dad very much. Children need their father, but also think about those kids. You know, those children are precious and valuable. They're treasures for you. I know they are. So we're going to move now from talking about buildings and battles, talking about burdens that we worry about. We're going to go talk about our babies. We're going to talk about our kids. You know, whenever my life is under stress and I go home and I can see my daughters or I can see my wife, I want you to know nothing seems large anymore. It's like it just sweetens life whenever we have a good marriage and we see the kids that we love so dearly. You see, some see children as a burden. I talked to a man one time in Plano, Texas, and he told me that uh, he and his wife had decided not to have kids. I was shocked. My wife was shocked because we were trying to have kids and we couldn't. And here was a couple that said, we don't even want kids. So I said to him, may I ask why? And he said, ah, they just are a drain. They just absolutely cost so much. And he said, I'm a financial advisor, so I think we can have a way better life without kids. And so at that time, that's where they were. Perhaps they changed their uh, attitude about that. But you know what I think? I think God sees our children as a great blessing, as a great blessing. As a matter of fact, it might not be you, Dad. It might not be you that God is going to solve something in this world. You know who it might be? Your kids. Your kids. You and I, we don't know what our sons and our daughters will grow up to be. We don't know what God will do through them. Have you ever heard that Matthew West song, Do Something? Oh man, it's got an incredible message in there where you know a guy's looking out, seeing all the problems in this world, and he keeps on asking, God, why don't you do something? And then finally God said, I did. I created you. You know, I, I think the same thing could be said about our children. They're so valuable. You know, Dad, I know that maybe you have a lot of important priorities that you have to address at work. But just please don't overlook how important that your children are. I want to give you four different reasons why I think your children are very valuable. And I know most of you, if not all of you, feel that your children are valuable. But maybe you've never seen in this passage 
what the value is that God sees. I think our children are valuable to us because our children are our heritage. That's what verse three would tell us. You see, some may look at their children as a burden, but when God looks at your children, he says, no, they're not a burden. They're a blessing. That's why children are compared here to a treasure, a a tremendous treasure. You know, he calls them in uh, this verse, a reward, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Children are a tremendous, uh, precious gift. Also, he calls them a heritage. And so just think about how your children are like this special heritage that you are going to leave, a legacy that you're going to leave here on this earth. I'll give you a second reason why our children are so valuable, because our children are also not only our heritage, they're our helpers. They're our helpers. Listen to verse 4. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Wow. Isn't that cool? You know, I think that arrows provide assistance, don't they? You know, if I, when I was in Canada, I used to shoot the bow. I was in a bow club and all of that. And a few times I went hunting, bow hunting. But you know what an arrow does? It provides such assistance. An arrow covers the distance that we will never reach. You know, you'll never be able to get that close to that deer, or, you know, or to that, you know, whatever it is you're hunting. But here's the thing. If you shoot an arrow, it'll cover distance you'll never cover. You know, the archer provides the aim, right? You see, we work with God to set the direction of our children's lives and their future. I think that we're the ones who we're teaching them. We're training them. We're modeling how they should live. We're, we're trying to discipline them and correct them and help them go in the, in the right direction. And so it's no surprise that God would actually compare children to arrows where? In our quiver. Those children have been placed in your hands, Dad. So make the most of their lives and the most of the time that you have with them because they're going to grow up and they're going to go away. You know, the anatomy also provides acceleration. You know, I think it's a good thing that God gives children to young adults. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm at, the str- I'm at the age now where I'm not even sure that I could pull a bowstring back, a 60-pound test bowstring back anymore. Maybe I could, maybe I couldn't. But here's the thing. God entrusts young men who will say, I'm going to raise my kids and spend time with them. I'm going to play with them. I'm going to run with them. I'm going to take them wherever they need to go because they're my helpers. And someday they're going to be bigger and they're going to be older and they're going to be wiser. And they're actually going to help me to accomplish all that God wants from my life. Don't you think that children also are not only helpers and a heritage, don't they also bring happiness? Happiness, you know, uh, verse five speaks about that happiness when it uses that word blessed. You know, someone said that grandchildren are God's reward for not killing our kids. Whoa, that's a little drastic, but I know I've definitely been frustrated with my kids before, but whenever you have grandkids, man, I remember my dad One time I said to my dad, how come you let my daughters do things that you never let me and my younger brother do when we were growing up? 
And you know what my dad told me? He said, that's why we're called grandparents, because we just get to have fun doing anything we want. Well, I don't know about that, but all I know is my dad sure enjoyed uh, loving on my kids. He loved grandkids. Do you love grandkids? I guarantee you do if you have any. Well, um, I think that, you know, taking care of our children should be a source of great joy and delight. You know, our kids are, that our kids are designed by God. You know, Psalm 139 verses 13 and 14, 15, 16, all in there. It just says how God designed our kids when they were in the womb. He was making them exactly uh, who he wanted them to be. And so I just think, man, thank you, Lord. You know, uh, 3 John verse 4, 3 John verse 4 tells us that there's no greater joy than to see our kids walking in the light. You know, the choices that our children make, they can magnify and intensify our joy, can't they? But they also, if they make poor choices, no one feels it like a dad or a mother. It's hard whenever you see your kids making poor choices. I know I've prayed with a lot of moms, a lot of dads who are deeply burdened about some of the poor choices that their kids have made. But of course, you know, the opposite is true, that they can bless you like no one else, even though they have that potential to break our hearts. But for most of us, they bring joy to us, don't they? Well, children are valuable because they bring that happiness. They're valuable because someday they're going to be helping you to accomplish things that even you couldn't accomplish in your lifetime, for sure not by yourself. And then children are heritage. But let me give you one more. I think that children also extend our honor. Children extend our honor. You know, I'm told that at the inauguration of President Dwight D. Eisenhower, that there were two Bibles that, you know, normally they place their hand on a Bible. He had two Bibles. One of them was George Washington's Bible open to this very Psalm right here, Psalm 127. Dwight D. Eisenhower, even though he was the president of the United States, wanted to place his hand over Psalm 127, acknowledging, Lord, I got a big job to do, but nothing is larger than taking care of my family. So I thought that was huge. But then he also put the other hand over his West Point Bible that he got when he was studying at the military academy. And 2 Chronicles 7.14 was where he had him open up that Bible to 2 Chronicles 7.14. Can you imagine, you know, a president being sworn into office and he's saying, the number one thing I want for this nation is to turn to God, to be healed and so forth. And then the other hand, putting it right over the top of this passage right here, Psalm 127, saying, I want to stay a faithful, godly uh, husband and father for my kids and grandfather for my grandkids. Wow. Where did he learn that? I want to share something in closing where Dwight D. Eisenhower learned that. You see, his faith was kindled at the feet of his father and his mother in Abilene, Kansas. You know, in the evenings, his mom and dad had a tradition. They would gather all of the children in a very small living room. And you know what they did? They read the Bible aloud. They read the Bible aloud. And so 
Over and over, he hears the Bible. You should read an article that is on history.com, history.com, and the, the name of the article that I'm wanting you to read is called How Dwight Eisenhower Found God in the White House. Do you know that Dwight D. Eisenhower was the only president that was baptized after he became president? I think the tremendous pressure of that job drove him to a surrender to God where he said, I want your guidance on my life. I want you to build this nation and so forth. I thought that was really phenomenal, something that we should know as Americans and so forth. But um, I also thought it was interesting how he, more than any other president, cultivated a personal close friendship with another man named Billy Graham. He had Billy Graham uh, to the White House several times and would often uh, get Billy Graham to pray with him and to pray for him in all his decisions. Well, listen, maybe you're not the president of the United States. Okay, but what are you the president of? President of your family? You're the president of a, of a company? What, what role do you play? You know, you might not be the president, but I want you to know, Dad, you are very, very important to your kids. As a man, I have never forgotten the legacy that my, my dad in his life left upon my heart and my life. I guarantee you, there's a lot of things about who I am. I'm just living exactly like I was taught to live, exactly like I saw my dad live. I'm doing the same exact stuff. So anyway, I just want to encourage you, Dad, to uh, stay close to the Lord. Don't try to be over on that negative side of the fatherhood formula and say, you know what? I don't think I need God. No, we all do. We all need God. I'm not taking away from your strengths and abilities and talents and all that you can do, your education. I'm not taking anything away from those things. All I'm saying is every man, every man needs his creator. Every man needs uh, forgiveness of his sins and his mistakes that he makes. So why don't you say, okay, I'm going to walk with the Lord for the rest of my life, and I'm going to try my best to be a godly example to my kids. Man, join me. Join me. Let's do that together. Why don't we pray? Thanks so much for listening. Lord, thank you for uh, those that are listening today to this podcast. I pray you would use these timeless words from your word. I pray you would stir our hearts up. Stir us, O Lord, that we might realize there's something very, very important that you've entrusted to us as men. Those of us that are fathers, we have a great job to do. I'm not sure that being the president of a nation or being the president of a corporation is any more important than raising those children to love you. And so help us, O oh Lord, to lean upon you. Help us to value our kids, to know that they are our heritage. They are going to help us. They do all of these wonderful things that are mentioned in this passage. And so anyway, thank you for our children. Bless them. Bless every mom and every dad that's listening today. I pray for those mothers that are single moms that are raising their kids the very best that they can without dad, without a dad there in the home. Encourage them, strengthen them, bless them, use them. Help them point over and over to the Heavenly Father. Help them be a part of a church where they can have earthly role models that are males. But I thank you so much, Lord, just for how you 
thought of families. It was your idea. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for loving us first. Thank you for dying on the cross, Jesus, so that our sins could be forgiven. If it were not for your sacrifice, we would not even be able to be in the family of God. What a great place to be, one of your children. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you so much for uh, listening today. I pray that God blessed you. And uh, hey, spend some time in the Psalms. That, that book of the Bible feeds my soul like none other. So just enjoy God's work. Wherever you read, I'm always talking about this is my favorite, that's my favorite. I, I can't narrow it down. But anyway, you have a blessed day. Glad you were with us at Growing in Grace. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.